0: Welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Morning Marjorie. Hi Claire, how are you? I'm good thanks, can't believe we're into March. The light's getting better at least. Yeah, that's true, it was actually light this morning when I woke up.
1: Feels like a marking of something and March includes the first day of spring for us Persians. The 21st of March is actually the first day of the new year for us Persians count spring as the beginning of the year which i think is really
0: sensible so will you be doing your usual special persian new year Naurus meal?
1: yeah i will and we'll have to get some all the tables set up with all the little special things that mean the first parts of the year that bring you luck and good fortune and love and wisdom all those sorts of things which you have come to expect from me i'm sure
0: we'll see if you'll be allowed over to have some of the food fingers crossed i was going to say you'll have to do me a doggy bag if i'm not allowed to visit and share that meal with you it's uh, it's one of my favorites While you're celebrating Persian New Year, Open Book's celebrating our Morgan Month.
1: Really exciting. It's the end of the centenary year for Edwin Morgan, and the Edwin Morgan Trust has been running all sorts of interesting programmes all through the year, and we've decided to focus on Morgan's work this month, just to highlight all the things that he's done, but also just so that all of our groups get a chance to have an in-depth plunge into his work, which is really exciting
0: yeah well our shared reading groups will be looking at a beautiful piece of writing by linda cracknell that we specially commissioned that is kind of inspired by morgan's the starlings on george square which is beautiful and also reading alice ash a writer-in-residence piece which we'll be looking at later this morning And they'll also be looking at
1: some of the work that was inspired by Morgan some poems that people wrote in response to Morgan's work which is terrific Big shout out and thanks to the Morgan Trust for sending some of their beautiful pamphlets which are put together they're called The Morgan Twenties and there are five little pamphlets all on each on different themes of Morgan's work Love, Scotland, Menagerie, Take Heart, Space and Spaces and not only have the Trust given us permission to read some of those poems but also to use some of them in our newsletter, which you'll find in the usual place on our website, but also have given us a copy of each set of pamphlets for each of our groups. And we just can't wait to get those into the hands of our lead readers so that they can be used all year long. The other thing that's happening this month is our creative writing groups are going to be responding to Morgan's work, and in particular his poem At 80, with the idea of pushing the boat out, which is a really interesting idea, I think, in this particular climate, in this particular time for us. What does it mean to push the boat out coming out of a lockdown at the tail end, we hope, of a pandemic? And specifically, they'll also be looking at some of the work of a local Edinburgh based photographer, Mike Guest, who's been taking images of the sea during lockdown every day, specifically in the month of January, and also last year in May. So the groups will have some really beautiful images to work with, but also the words of Morgan to kind of think about what it means to push the boat out on our lives. And the hope is that some of that work might make its way into a brand new poetry festival that's going to happen in Edinburgh, which is also aptly named Push the Boat Out. Stay tuned for more information on that from us at some point in the future
0: it's a super busy month for us with all this going on but we really need to shout out to all the people that have made it happen berlin press speculative books the poets who are included in the contemporary edmund morgan book which responds to his work and of course the edmund morgan trust mike guest for his photographs and push the boat out for involving us but a really long list of thank yous this month and pulling together the newsletter and as margie says you can find it at openbookreading.com if you want to find out more about any of the things we're talking about.
1: We have so much to get through this morning. I feel like we should
0: crack on and dive straight into some Morgan work. What do you think, Claire? Let's do that. Shall I read one of his much-loved poems? I've seen it around a lot in connection with Valentine's Day a couple of weeks ago, so it's nice to revisit it. It's called One Cigarette. No smoke without you, my fire. After you left, your cigarette glowed on in my ashtray and sent up a long thread of such quiet grey. I smiled to wonder who would believe its signal of so much love. One cigarette in the non-smoker's tray. As the last spire trembles up, a sudden draught blows it winding into my face. Is it smell? Is it taste? You are here again. And I am drunk on your tobacco lips. Out with the light, let the smoke lie back in the dark. Till I hear the very ash sigh down among the flowers of brass I'll breathe. And long past midnight, your last kiss.
1: I think without comment, I'm going to read the next one and we can talk about them together. Which is When You Go. Both poems are taken from The Second Life, which was published by the Edinburgh University Press in 1968. When You Go When you go, if you go, and I should want to die, there's nothing I'd be saved by more than the time you fell asleep in my arms, in a trust so gentle, I let the darkening room drink up the evening, till rest, where the new rain lightly roused you awake. I asked if you heard the rain in your dream, and half-dreaming, still, you only said, I love you. The, The poems are so deceptively simple,
0: I think. They're so tender.
1: Yeah, they feel like they expose Morgan in some way. It's that old thing of you know whether poets are writing from their own voice or not, but you want to believe, and we all believe, I think that that is very much Morgan's voice there.
0: And I think they take on so much more weight almost when you know about his personal life and how he had to hide it.
1: Well, it feels like he's chosen ways to say things that might he might not have been able to say. Absolutely you know, in 1968. Yeah. It's a they're very clearly about love and not wanting to be parted from someone and especially you know the second one the one I read When You Go I feel like it's, it starts off sad but actually it's about the strength of letting your guard down you know it, it says so much more about love than so many other poems that we turn to because for me it's about that idea that you know the idea of falling asleep with someone in a room is really about trust and the ability to let your guard down or almost become the animal that you are as we always kind of quote Mary Oliver saying and that, for me that's that's a, that's a different kind of trust than a kind of infatuation or a physical love.
0: And the sense of ease. You know, you couldn't fall asleep if you weren't entirely at ease. Which I think you get a really strong sense of that in that poem. Just how it's almost languid. The language is almost soporific in itself. Oh. You know, I feel like we say
1: this almost every podcast, but there feels like what we now call mindfulness in these poems in the sense that the speaker is very present. That idea of sitting with someone asleep in your arms... And you're not sleeping, but it doesn't feel like time wasted. You know, I know in our kind of modern mother's heads, we were thinking of all the things we should be doing. It doesn't feel any of that there. It feels like that's still very precious time to me. And in the same way, the One Cigarette Poem, it feels it's worth it to take the time to turn the light out and listen for the ash to fall, you know, to kind of remember those moments as precious rather than just moving on.
0: And is One Cigarette unrequited love, do we think? I'll breathe and long past midnight, your last kiss? Or is it just the last kiss that I had from you? Or is it your last ever kiss?
1: Yeah, for me, it wasn't unrequited. It feels like just indulging yourself in that remembering a, a joy rather than it necessarily being the last you know I think particularly when I don't know if this relationship is new but you know particularly with new relationships many of us go over and over things you know to try and enjoy them I mean I think many of our relationships are like that as well like lovely moments with your children your families you'll remember those and kind of indulge yourself in in thinking about that as a way of kind of boosting yourself up or you know just including the positive or kind of moving into the positive in your life so it feels that for me it feels that he's just enjoying remembering a kiss
0: I'm, I'm not convinced it is unrequited I just picked up on a comment that someone else had made around it saying oh yeah that poem about unrequited love and I thought oh is it and it kind of made me go back and reread it and wonder if it was but I'm not convinced.
1: Both poems seem to me about relationships or a love that are between very different people you know the first poem about cigarettes he's not a smoker but the other person is maybe this is me putting my 2021 spin on things but that's something to be gotten over you know or something a barrier between them a difference between them that doesn't seem to be negative it's just acknowledging a difference. And the same with the when you go, the idea that someone is asleep and someone isn't. And that's okay, that there are still moments to be enjoyed. It feels like a kind of, we don't have to be the same. It's a kind of mastery of taking a simple situation and saying so much in it.
0: And I think as well the one cigarette has that sense of just languid enjoyment and reveling in the moment and in the recollection.
1: As the last spire trembles up, you know, the idea of being so present as a non-smoker to watch a smoke a cigarette smolder feels like a richness of time you know which is something that we you know don't have much of now i wonder if it's a, it speaks of the time you know in 1968 people didn't have to check their twitter accounts and their
0: emails you know it was a completely different sort of tempo of life and i think that richness is just really intensified by that line is it smell is it taste It just brings in all your senses you know i am drunk on your tobacco lips you know, it, it just really puts a depth into the poem. It grounds the poem because,
1: yeah, he gives us enough visceral for us to be there. And the question is rhetorical, but also addressed to the reader, right? So suddenly, as a reader, you're being asked a question. And suddenly, as you say, you can suddenly taste and smell tobacco smoke or tobacco and think, yeah, I'm not sure whether it's smell or taste, actually, exactly. that, that I personally object to or whatever it is or that I like, you know.
0: Yeah, he brings you right into the poem with that line, I think. You become less of an observer and more of a participant, I think. And, and for me, that gives you just a stronger connection. And then, you know, with the imperative, out with the light, let the
1: smoke lie back in the dark. Suddenly, he would masterfully moves. I mean, I didn't really notice it until we're starting to pick it apart. But, you know, he's got a question there. He's got imperatives in there. He's using lots of terrific tricks to keep you on your toes as a reader. You know, to suddenly think, where do I sit? Are you asking me to turn out the light? You know, where do I sit in this poem? Where, where, and then also, do I feel uncomfortable as a kind of voyeur? of this scenario? You know, it's a very interesting um, question. And as you say, when you know more about his personal life, you know, the fact that he was gay and what his relationships might have been, I don't know who he would have been with at this period.
0: And there's such a strong sense of place in both of the poems as well, of being in the room. Although he doesn't actually describe them much, the rooms themselves. For me, I can very much feel part of the scene, as it were.
1: I think that's really important in terms of what he's probably doing politically with these poems, whether he means to or not. Because, as you say, the strong sense of place were pulled into the room. He speaks directly to us, particularly in one cigarette, and suddenly we're part of the scene, for good or for bad, you know. Depending, no matter what we think of it, and that's I think that's a really important thing to do, whether you meant to do it or not. I'm not sure, but I think it's a really important thing, and it's something we that might be lost with time, in the sense that I think as re, as a readership now we're really comfortable with that idea, or largely comfortable with that idea, I would guess. But I suspect that many years ago we wouldn't, re, many readers wouldn't have been. So. Yeah, they're really important poems, apart from just being beautifully cut love poems, really. Shall we move on to Alice's short story? Let's do that. She knew that when, in writing this that we would be looking at Morgan this month, and particularly the idea of pushing the boat out, and at 80. So we can figure out whether we, we can spot it in her story, if you like.
0: Shall I start this one? Yeah, please. On the ship, Alice Ash. There was a storm... So we went down to the ballroom and poured martinis. You looked for the olive jar, crashing through the silver, lemon and lime bowls. The fruit bowls have long since been empty. They're just decorative now. It was a night just like this one, I said. That's right, Simone, you said. The olives plopped, one, two, through the cloudy liquid. Lovely, you said, slurp, slurp. You nodded for me to go on. The captain boomed through the speaker. All passengers report to the top deck, you said, your curls bouncing in the artificial light of the ballroom. You still set your hair every morning. And soon we heard the lifeboats dropping into the sea all around, the sounds of people shouting and crying we clung to each other, terrified for our lives. Two old ladies abandoned at sea. You giggled. Apart from our voices, there was no sound in the ballroom. The tables were still set for dinner, although we'd long since cleaned away the flowers that were completely brown and withered, sprinkling their hunched bodies over the side into the water. A crack of lightning lit the room silver for a moment and you squealed and ran to the gin poured us each another martini plop plop went the olives one, two you wanted to dance your rings flashed like electricity come on Simone I woke up in my clothes my heavy necklaces had been digging into my chest my face muffled by the very many pillows at the wardrobe there were more than 200 different dressing gowns we had organized the abandoned items of clothing into different sections of the boat you were very strict it was a good idea to have all the dressing gowns and nightshirts in our bedroom we even moved the hundreds of pairs of slippers to lay in pairs at the bottom of the wardrobes We took the captain's bedroom, of course, so we had a lot of space. But sometimes I got tired trying to pick between all the clothes. The smells of other people gave me a strange feeling. Strands of hair and pockets laden with the intimacy of crusted tissues. Today I took a man's dressing gown and made myself naked underneath, all except my jeweled necklaces. The flannel material was very soft against my skin and I luxuriated in the large collar. The gown nearly reached the ground so I put on a pair of small feather-covered slippers with a heel. You always found this aesthetic inexplicably hilarious. You were in the dining room with the radio blaring. The one thing we didn't have was television. But the radio sometimes picked up signals, and you often listened for hours, recording bits that were interesting on the tape machine. On that day, you were sat at the captain's table, reading through an old newspaper again. Although we have plenty of reading materials, everybody brings a book with them on holiday, even if they don't ever open it. You always liked the old newspapers. You said you liked the feeling of frozen time, as though the entire world stopped when we left it. Simone, you shouted, over here, and I shuffled over to you. When will we be rescued from this hell, you said, fresh lipstick, deep purple, making your eyes sparkle. Would you care for some tea, Simone? We had eaten all of the fresh foods, or they had become perished. So you had prepared a feast of Melba toast and jam. Tea with little plastic thimbles of UHT milk. Shall we stop there for a bit? Yeah.
1: So, what do we think's going on in this story? Two friends, stuck on a ship... There's a feel of the Titanic about it. Yeah, they seem to, and they're the only ones, it seems like, because they're taking the captain's room, which I think is hilarious. That and the martinis. Yeah, well, I like, I mean, that's the first thing we'd be doing if we were stuck on a ship, don't you think? Like, plop, plop, I recognise that. Although I would be measuring it out, thinking, how long can we make this last? The good thing about martinis is they don't really require much of a mixer, do they? They're just, like, straight. But they must have been there a while, because, you know, the description of having all the dressing gowns and night shirts... one bedroom and the flowers yeah i wonder how long it would take so if if we assume that they're on a ship you know they're on their own and they kind of um have decided that they they might as well make themselves busy i wonder how long it would take before you cracked and went into other people's rooms because that feels like quite an invasion
0: of privacy i guess though there's no jeopardy in doing it is there because they've all gone do you okay, think so what holds for what we hold you back from doing it would be the fear of getting caught or your internal moral compass saying it's the wrong thing to do
1: yeah and i guess that's the question is what happens to your internal moral compass when you're in this scenario does it change you know you think of like that tom hanks movie you know where he gets washed up or whatever how long does it take for our usual moral compass to switch or shift i don't
0: know I think switching or shifting or heading northeast instead of north, shall we say, with a compass is easier to justify, isn't it? When it's a necessity, you know, the things on the castaway island feel different to the rummaging through people's jewellery to find a necklace that will go with your dressing gown.
1: Well, I mean, I guess this is the question. The, The primary question is, did they choose to stay? Did they decide, sod it, we're old, we're just going to stay on the ship? I mean, presumably, if everybody gets off a ship, it's because they think it's going down. Why else would you abandon a ship that was presumably worth something? And a captain abandoning a ship as well. So they presumably thought that they were going down with this ship. So in my head, if they, if they thought they were going down in the ship, and they don't go down with the ship, it's almost like a all the rules
0: are out the window. Is there an aspect of wondering if they've, as you said, chosen to stay, but also of just being so dithering that they just missed the opportunity to climb in the lifeboat and they went without them? We clung to each other, terrified for our lives. made me speculate, is that an intentional act where you go, okay... Let's just hang around and see what happens. Or is it uh, actually just too scared and frozen, petrified, I guess, in the true sense of the word, um, turned to stone to stand there and not actually know what to do and just left behind? I can see that but then they don't seem like the kind of women that would do that because they're busy making
1: martinis they don't (laughs) they sound like the kind of people you'd want to be stuck on a cruise ship and a ghost ship with for sure and they seem to be having a ball to be honest you know they're covered in jewelry I mean it just makes me laugh because you think well as you know Claire I'm not really a jewelry person even though I seem to have loads of beautiful jewelry but you know the idea that the one thing I would do is go through other people's cabins for jewelry is just or even better this we have to talk about this the little slippers with a heel. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) I can picture them exactly. Yeah, me too. Are they white in my head? What color are they in yours? Pink, baby (laughs) pink. (laughs) With like sort of boa style feathers on the front and kitten heel it has to be a kitten heel the little heel okay claire you have those too well described i don't need you to admit that
1: you've got a pair in your cupboard but you <laughs> Could all you out imagine? there can make your own
0: <laughs> minds up on that one like there must be hundreds of gorgeous ballroom ball gowns and you know dressing for dinner at the captain's table and beautiful formal is, is it just the jewelry and actually that's what they care about and that description of taking a man's dressing gown
1: well i mean but also why Why are you choosing necklaces? Because literally there's nobody to see them (laughs) <laughs> so they have no value, right? So it, it also raises that brilliant question of what is of value? Because the things we think are valuable are only valuable because you can sell them for money, right? So in the apocalypse, you know, a diamond isn't very useful, but a sack of rices or, you know, all those sorts of things are really that those sorts of questions. So it's quite funny to me that they're like, you know, encrusted with jewelry. They obviously just like the costume of it. I mean, they sound like brilliant characters, I have to say.
0: There's a little sense of them with like little kids dressing up. Yeah, definitely. You know, not old ladies, not two old ladies, two little kids who maybe have been friends all their lives and they're going back to those days when they used to dress up together in Disney princess dresses or whatever it was.
1: Well, you say that, Claire, but, you know, we have been known to say between us, can't wait till an opportunity to actually put on something other than jeans and a t-shirt. You know, I suppose with lockdown for almost a year, I've not, I've not put, I was saying I've not, to my children, I've not put on a dress in a year. And no occasion to wear one. You know, there's an entire little set of dresses that I just haven't even opened the opened the door to. But yeah, it's funny that idea that you still set your hair every morning, for example. You know, the idea of what goes or what is it? Because of, is it a dignity thing? Is it a habit thing?
0: Is it a sanity thing? But I wondered if there was something about it that resonates with the situation we're in at the moment of you know having to have those routines and having to almost mark out your day because our days are so different than what they were before to mark out our day with little rituals you know you could stay in bed all day and not have to go to work or, or at least stay in your pajamas you know that idea of having to mark out with rituals and they find themselves in a different sort of lockdown don't they on the ship and maybe the the idea of the ritual of setting the hair gives some sort of form to the day
1: yeah and i well i mean i guess the difference here is that they don't have any contact with the outside world i love that little bit of sort of sometimes picking up the radio and recording the bits that you think are interesting so you can listen to them later but i really love that line about you said you like the feeling of frozen time as though the entire world stopped when we left it you know and i think it would take a particular kind of character to enjoy that
0: yeah, I mean, they don't seem to be particularly worried by anything, really. On the ship, drifting, presumably drifting aimlessly, you know, having run out of fresh food, drinking martinis and eating their Melba toast.
1: I mean, it's not a bad way to go, really. I love this, when will we be rescued from this hell? I don't actually th- I thought that was tongue-in-cheek. Like, they're having a ball, dancing and, you know, wearing lots of jewellery. It's funny, isn't it?
0: Fresh lipstick has been applied <laughs> before asking the question.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's really funny. So we keep reading? Yeah, Do you want to read on? After we had eaten, you crunch crunching through the toast and talking about your plans for the day, sunbathing and searching through the last of the cabins for a red silk scarf, you jumped up. I almost forgot, you said. Listen to this. It was a radio report about the ghost shipped that had disappeared with millions of pounds worth of jewels on board. You were very excited, and you shushed me, even though I wasn't speaking. It had been a long time since we'd heard anything about the ship on the radio. "'Oh, if only we could be rescued,' I said afterwards, and you yelped and giggled, patting my hand with your heavy-ringed one. You preferred rings to necklaces. "'Let's go up,' you said. We left the dirty dishes on the table, and you brought one of the special bottles of lemonade from the refrigerator. There were only fourteen bottles left— but you were always businesslike when something ran out. What's gone is gone, you'd say, brushing your hands together to shake away imaginary crumbs. That's what you always said when we spotted land through the old binoculars, an obstruction of spiked buildings and brown muck amidst the sparkling blue. We'd go to the control room, where you'd put on the captain's spare hat, and then we'd turn the big creaky wheel together, "'my necklaces and your rings shimmering in the sunlight. "'The land would quickly disappear from view, "'as though it was never there. "'What's gone is gone. "'On the top deck, I let my gown fall open "'and felt the necklaces slowly heating, "'as though they were small, warm animals resting on my chest. "'Simone,' you said, "'you do have such a beautiful figure.' and you let your hand rest gently on my naked stomach, our feet curled together at the end of our loungers. We watched the sunset with an old-fashioned each, you using the last of the maraschino cherries instead of orange. I felt a weight in the pocket of my dressing gown, and pulled out a packet of mints, full except for the first two or three. Lovely, you squealed, and we sat sucking the minty freshness in the blaze of the sun, the purples, oranges and reds surrounding us, until we got cold and went inside to our beds, each covered with hundreds of pillows and drowning in the finest blankets that money could buy.
0: Do we think that this is new, that they're having such fun that they don't want to be rescued? Or do we think there was a plan not to be rescued?
1: Yeah, I think there's a plan not to be rescued. Well, I think it tells even in that beginning bit that I read where you've got to go, you know, her job for the day is to find a red silk scarf. They're just making stuff up to do that's fun and entertaining And, you know, thinking back to the Morgan Palms, this is a world where these women can live this life, right? Assuming that they're partners and together, we don't know what the date of the work is. So it's possible that this is the only place in which they can live this life.
0: I wondered about that when I read the start of that paragraph. I thought they were together, but then they go back inside to their own beds, each covered with hundreds of pillows. And that just planted a little seed of... Doubt in my mind as to whether they were together or not, which I'm sure is very deliberate on Alice's part. You know, the luxury of having a bed each covered with hundreds of pillows and blankets.
1: Well, they're in the captain's room together, right? Because they've taken the captain's room. So they're in the same room. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I think particularly, you know, lots of older people, you know, grow old with a companion, I think. But I love the possibility that they're together. I I love
0: it too. I hope they are.
1: I don't think that, yeah, my, my instinct is that an older person of that generation wouldn't put a hand on a friend's naked stomach. That's true. There was something yeah. more. In it. I might put mine on, you know, a friend's. Now I think our generation is more relaxed, and certainly my girls or children would, you know, because they're just much more tactile uh, yeah, I think relaxed. So. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure that someone who's older would. But I do think they're choosing to be together on this lost ship, and that that says something. I think it feels like they've created a safe place to be. It's interesting because there are a couple of lines in here that make me think of other poems like The the Necklace is Slowly Heating. What's that beautiful Carol Ann Duffy poem about the mistress you know, giving her um, servant the pearls to warm before she wears them. And it's obvious that the servant is in love with her master or her mistress. And the same, the warm animals, makes me think of the Mary Oliver poem about, you know, letting the soft animal of your body love what it loves. So, for, so there's something in those two lines which made me think of two poems that were written by gay women. I don't know if Alice meant it, but those are the two things that jumped out at me. And anytime someone says warm animal... In 2021, I think Mary Oliver jumps to mind, which is which is a lovely thing.
0: And the idea that you might choose it as, that as a way to go. And it makes me think that they're, they're massively valuing this time together, which then leads on to the question of it's time they didn't have together off the boat.
1: And, you know, that idea like I like necklaces, you like rings. Yeah. they, feel, they f- I feel like they know so much about each other. And again, going back to that Morgan thing of we're different but together, which is, you know, we don't have to the same thing you're going to go off and have your hunt for the red silk scarf (laughs) yeah i don't know what someone's going to do for the day but it just feels very companionable like very easy you know in a way that maybe isn't always easy and maybe that's going back to the morgan poems there's an ease in those poems in those rooms as it were that maybe just wasn't true in the outside world and you know yourself if you know if you're with someone you're really close to, there's an ease there that just doesn't exist with people you don't know well or people maybe that you're not in love with or certainly very companionable with.
0: And I think you get a real sense of that ease in the final paragraph as they watch the sunset go down with the old fashions and sip their drinks and stare at the colours of the sun together inside, you know, it's almost, you can imagine the companionable silence. There's a brilliant poem again by Wendell
1: Berry about sitting on the porch with his wife Tanya and they've been together for, I don't know, a half a century or something. And it, it's about recognising love. As an old man in that silence, you know, that there's very, there's almost nothing left to say, and that that's okay, that that itself is the bond. He writes, you know, beautifully about being old.
0: I've come across quite a few Wendell Berries recently but that's not one I know so I shall definitely go and search that one out.
1: Yeah it's about finding love at first at our age and the kind of making of other humans and and in the daily life at that age it's about finding love in the shape of the clouds that you can sit and just watch the skyline together and that's enough and that that reminds me of what they're doing there which is just to watch the sunset and then to go into bed which is lovely. And I love the, fi- the finest blankets because it's
0: again that reference to wealth which, you know, there's millions of pounds and what good is it doing them nothing? They think it's hilarious. That's exactly what I was just going to say. I, I'm so pleased for them that their blankets are the finest that money could buy. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter. What a gorgeous
1: story. You know, and it really links to Morgan's At 80 which is a poem we're not talking about today because we've talked about it on a, on a former podcast but I would really encourage you to go and find it. You know, it's about pushing the boat out unknown is best is the famous line from it about you know when he turns 80 he's still pushing the boat out and going out on voyages to find the unknown which is you know feels like that's exactly what these women are doing so she's done exactly what we what we asked her to do in in a modern way
0: yeah thank you alice for that one
1: shall we finish up with one last morgan poem we're going to do an extra poem this month because it's morgan month and one that felt like it chimed very well with the story it's its own version of this story it's
0: called the picnic will you read it for us Claire. Sure, the picnic. In a little rainy mist of white and grey, we sat under an old tree, drank tea toasts to the powdery mountain, undrunk, got merry, played catch with the empty flask, on the pine needles came down to where it rolled stealthily away, you lay with one arm in the rain, laughing, Shaking only your wet hair loose against the grass. In that enchanted place of tea, With curtains of a summer rain Dropped round is for a rainy day
1: yeah and it feels like he lets us into a room you know it's an outdoor room but he lets us spy on a couple having a kind of joyful moment at a moment where you wouldn't think it'd feel very joyful because they're getting
0: wet and and the influence and importance of rain in this poem reminds me of the, the rain in when you go it's the rain that is the catalyst for almost him having a conversation so he asks if you heard the rain in your dream and here the rain is is the curtain round them it feels like rain is important to him maybe it's just living in scotland
1: it feels like they're having their picnic despite the rain and that feels like a metaphor for something larger, which is we're having our time despite what others may think. And I, th- you know, that ties beautifully to the story because they're, you know, they're having Absolutely. the end of their life despite what everybody might think. And and it's something that they've actively—it feels like they've actively chosen. I'm going to same with the, you know, the one cigarette. I'm having this moment to consider the, the, the last kiss, you know, to to really remember that moment, and nothing's going to take it away.
0: It feels like we're being let in. I love the drinking of the tea toasts and the undrunk got merry. It feels very much that they're sort of drunk on love and drunk on the moment. And it's almost like we don't need the martinis <laughs> <laughs> no. to, uh, to bring us that joy and relaxation. And
1: What's nice about the story you know, is that I don't feel like they need the martinis because if they're far enough in to have brought all the dressing gowns out, Martini's not going to do a lot of good, you know, a month. And if you're just drinking yourself silly, most people would wake up from that. So it just feels like part of the ritual rather than the thing that they're doing, you know, to get through. And here, as you say, uh, the toasts feel like they're just part of the, yeah, the ritual and the joy of it.
0: You would expect them, though, to take a bottle of wine or some beers on the picnic. And they, they don't need to. They don't want to. The, the tea and the place and each other is enough.
1: Yeah. And I was thinking, as I read it earlier, that, so, you know, we're all about picnics even in the blinking winter in Scotland at the moment, because that's the only time you can see people is outdoors, or it has been anyway. Everybody's got a flask suddenly with hot tea in it. I mean, you know, we often take one to the sea, don't we, Claire? So, you know, I recognize the ritual of that. And I think, you know, that's one of the joys that's been given to us in this period, is there have been so many negative things, but... I've never enjoyed a flask of tea so much, you know, as I have in the last year and been grateful for it. It has really forced us to slow down and enjoy those small moments. And it feels like in 1968, because this poem again came from The Second Life, Morgan's already doing that. Morgan's already noticing the shaking, your wet hair, you know, and the undrunk drunkenness, you know, those beautiful moments um, in a way that some of us maybe have only really managed to do in the last year. All of his poems feel like that he's letting us into a space that we maybe shouldn't be in, which is the gift, I think, that he has. And he does it in such a simple way that we don't notice. You know, it just feels like it's a little narrative. But actually, it's it's letting us see something that we maybe haven't seen otherwise. And maybe reminding us to look for them in our own lives, those moments, too.
0: And so much power in, in what he doesn't actually have to say.
1: Yeah, which feels unfortunate, but also in maybe in his case, it makes him hone what he's saying so carefully, you know, that it makes for you know these beautiful snippets. We're really grateful to the Morgan Trust for allowing us to read them and consider them on this podcast and also to put them on our newsletter which you can find on our website which is openbookreading.com and they're in the unbound section.
0: I think that's all for today. I think we've we've managed to get through the the three poems and the stories that we really wanted to share this morning so that's a bonus.
1: Yeah, it's been a real joy to come back to Morgan. Um, this year and to consider his work anew. We can't recommend it highly enough. You'll find all sorts of interesting things on the Trust's website including new work that they've commissioned in response to Morgan and that work isn't just written work, it's video work performance, art, it's all sorts of interesting things and some of which have even been adjusted um, due to these strange times with the pandemic but it's all bringing Morgan into our current time he is an incredibly contemporary poet but um, it's remarkable to see others respond to him in our time too and we'll be doing that all month long so if you'd like to join us in talking about his work or writing in response to his work you can find all of our shared reading groups that are open to the public and the creative writing groups as well on our website We'd, we'd really love for you to join us in thinking about morgan and writing or reading and talking about him all month long
0: so thanks very much for having us in New Year's again and we really look forward to being with you again soon.